Slaying It with Santa Rob is sponsored by Brett Christmas Mustache Wax. If you've got a mustache that you'd like to curl up the way I do, head over to bscenterprises.com. Look at the wide variety of products that Brett Christmer has to offer. Use discount code SANTAROB and receive 15% off your order. We're also sponsored by Hotspot Collectibles and Toys. If you like collecting things such as action figures, Star Wars, video game systems, video games, head over to hotspotcollectiblesandtoys.com. Look at the wide variety of inventory they have. Once again, use discount code SANTAROB and receive 15% off your order. Now let's get ready to slay it with Santa Rob. Welcome back to Slaying It with Santa Rob. We've made it all the way to episode 7. It's been a fun ride so far here on the sleigh. And I saved somebody very, very special for this episode. Anybody who knows me knows me as a classic rock junkie. You also know that REO Speedwagon is my favorite band. Well, we have a very special guest in this lay today. He's a guy that most of you probably don't know, and you're probably not going to recognize his name. But he is the original guitar player for REO Speedwagon. His name is Steve Scarfina. We're going to hear about the early days of REO. We're going to hear about some of Steve's other projects and what he's doing now. So let's welcome to the sleigh and get ready to slay it with Steve Scarfina. Steve, can you hear me? Hey, how's it going, man? It's going good. Hey, welcome to In the Sleigh with Santa Rob. Well, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> I, I am really glad that you're here. I, I hope that, that we draw in all kinds of classic rock fans because I think they're about to get their minds blown when they hear what you've done and who you are. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> you know, uh, you never think about things when you're living through them. And then afterwards, you look back and go, oh, wow, did I really do that? Oh, I guess I did, you know. <laughs> you, you really did it. And and just, just for listeners, um, I met Steve a couple years ago at a guitar show in Danville, Indiana. And the only reason I went to the guitar show is because Steve was there. And I'm going to let him tell you how or what he did back in the day. So, Steve, give us a little history. Okay, well, okay, I started playing music 60 years ago. Now, that seems like a really long time ago, and you're right. It really is a really long time ago. And my first band was uh, with Michael McDonald, the famous Michael McDonald from the Doobie Brothers and the solo artist, Michael McDonald. And he was 11 and I was 13 when we put our first band together. And we grew up in North St. Louis in Ferguson on a street called High Mount. 
And we've been friends for over 60 years now. And uh, I just recorded with him. I did some recording last year with him. So that's pretty amazing. And I am blessed to have known that gentleman. He is the most righteous guy you'll ever meet in your life. So that was the start of things. And then I played in about, oh, I don't know, maybe 400 other bands (laughs) over my brief career of 60 years, uh, which I hope it's not over. I'm still recording and trying to do things, you know, and I'm playing gigs. And uh, so I'm excited to be a survivor because a lot of people didn't survive the 60s and all the drugs and rock and roll and stuff that happened. But I am a survivor. So hallelujah there. Yeah. So, so you, you, we've got St. Louis Roots with Michael McDonald. Yeah. And then I had another group called The Good Feeling. Okay. When I was a teenager, they were the the big English invasion band in St. Louis. Um, we played all the big CYC dances and all. When the teen clubs came in, we we were the big band in all those places. And then when that group split up, because I had decided I wanted to be a blues artist, uh, <laughs> I got a call from a group called REO Speedwagon. And and it was interesting. I, uh, I got a call from Irv Azoff, I think it was. And uh, I couldn't hear him because back then we had phones that had wires connected to them yeah you, you and, couldn't uh, walk around back then could you and, and i had a bad connection so i thought that he said will you come up here and audition for the illinois speed press oh. well i got up there to champagne and i'm from st louis and lo and behold it wasn't the illinois speed press i go wow i thought i was coming up here to join the illinois speed press this who is this REO Speedwagon anyway? Yeah. <laughs> and they turned out to be a, 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 probably a lot bigger group than the Illinois Speed Press, I would say. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, so I did join them and played with them. And I also had a group from called Pavlo's Dog, which was a really exceptionally great prog rock group. Um, in about 1975, and uh, that group was like signed to the biggest deal in the history of rock and roll, and so it was pretty exceptional uh, in some ways. In, in some ways, it was just like any other group, you know. So that's one group that I really loved that I played with. And was the Somerville Scarfina band with Mike Somerville from Mike Head from, East. From Head East, yeah. and, and God bless yeah. his soul, he was one of the best ever. He is one of the best ever. I was so honored to play with him. We were both lead guitarists. And the one thing I can say about Michael and myself was what was foremost in our life was playing music. 
not making money and taking care of business. We were all about being artists. And we both of us should have paid a lot more attention to the business of music. We probably would have got a lot further along. But yeah, I would say I've worked with some pretty great people uh, like Mike McDonald, Mike Somerville, Dan Fogelberg, Chuck Berry. And I would say Mike Somerville was probably my favorite, favorite writer of all those. I'm like dropping a lot of big names right now. And it just, it was all coincidence that I knew these people, you know, it's just sometimes life unfolds in front of you. And that's what you have. I always tell people that interview me, they ask me about my influences and when I was 12 years old, my guitar teacher, Bill Dennis, I brought a, a instrumental Ike Turner record to my guitar lesson in North St. Louis okay. called Pranson. It was a 45. It was before I could see a Turner. And uh, he, go, he got a big smile on his face and goes, you know what? Ike Turner is a good friend of mine, and I'll take you down to meet him. He was rehearsing at a club called club imperial in north st louis so i was 12 years old and he took me down to club imperial and i got to meet ike turner and and i actually stayed there all day and that night i watched it was the very early stages of ike and tina turner when they were and ike would come out and he'd play like three or four songs as a three-piece group, bass, drums, and guitar. Then he'd bring the Hammond B3 player out. Then he'd bring the horn section out. Then he'd bring um, the backup singers out. And then he'd bring Tina out. And it was, so it was a real review show. And to this day, it was probably one of the best rock and roll shows I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, they just had to tear it up. Yeah, they were just unreal, unreal. And uh, and uh, I actually that song "Torn Up." The mm-hmm. uh, the drummer in that band was Billy Gales, and he wrote that famous blues song. I'm torn up, almost level with the ground. Yeah. Well, I feel this way when my baby, she ain't around. So that was actually who was playing drums with Ike that night. Okay. When I, and so I was, and then I met Chuck Berry when I was 14. I met Albert King when I was 16. So all those guys were from the area and they played the North St. Louis clubs and the East St. Louis clubs and stuff. So I was exposed to some Mighty fine talent as a little kid, you might say. You have some pretty serious influences. Yeah, definitely, you know. Uh, but let's let's go back. How old were you, or what year was it, when um, you got the call from Irving Azoff? I was 19 years old, and um, my group, uh, The Good Feeling, which was the big group from that era, had broken up and I had formed another group called Cyro Flash Cat. And um, when when I got the call, 
I wanted to move. I, I never lived away from home or anything. And I told the guys in Sorrow Flashcat that I wanted to go audition with this group. It, it sounded like I'd get paid enough to survive pretty well. Right. And uh, that was real neat. Lots of times when bands break up, there's really hard feelings and stuff. Well, on our last gig for the last song, they had me sit down and they played Happy Trails to me. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Happy trails to you. <laughs> and uh, so that was that was real neat, you know. And uh, so I came up to Champagne, and I um, decided I'd play with REO Speedwagon when they asked me to. And uh, so Irving Azoff found me an apartment, and it was in a, the basement of a house on Green Street. And... Upstairs from my apartment is where Dan Fogelberg lives. So me and Dan Fogelberg lived in the same house for about a year and a half. Okay, because Fogelberg is from Peoria, if I'm not mistaken. He, he's from Peoria, but he really made it out of Champaign. Okay. And right, we, we, being tied up with Irving Azoff, basically, in Blythe Unlimited. So, when, so when, when Irving called you, was it an audition or or was it, hey, do you want to join REO? Well, he asked me if I wanted to join, but he did say I'd have to come up on audition. Okay. And, and, you know, and at this point, you know, REO is Neil, Neil Doughty, Alan Grancer, Greg Philbin. Greg and, Philbin and Terry Luttrell. And Terry Luttrell on, on vocals. Yes, that was. And then I was added to it. And one of the reasons why they wanted me to play was because they wanted to start working toward writing and becoming an original band, which okay. is what I did with them. And I got them their deal. Uh, I I actually was there when they were signed to the deal and stuff. But there was some really dramatic things going on, you know, rock and roll bands can be. Right. And uh, so I decided I was going to quit the group. And Irving's like, oh, my God, you can't quit the group. I just got us this record deal. And that was the first big thing that Irving ever did. Now he owns Hollywood. He owns Ticketmasters. Right. He owns, he's like one of the wealthiest guys in the universe, I think. Right. <laughs> so. It's, it's, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say I seen Irving about 35 years later at Michael McDonald's wedding. And he's, he's kind of a show off about being as smart as he is, you know, which he is a genius. Yeah. And uh, he looks at me and goes, Vito Scarfina, and wraps off my, my phone number from 1969. And I can't remember my number from back then, <laughs> but he's got like a photographic memory and stuff. Wow. So that's a little Irving Azoff story. So, how long were you with REO before the record deal all happened? Well, I quit him right toward the end of 1971. So you were with a couple of years. I was with him a couple of years and what got us the record deal was we played this 
stop the war moratorium. Well, another thing, when they asked me to join, I said, sure, I'll come up there and try out. But the only thing I'm really interested in doing in life is doing things to stop the war in Vietnam. Because I had been drafted and went through hell to get out of having to go. Finally, I just told him, well, look at you, put me in jail. I'm not going to go fight this war that I don't believe in, you know? Mm-hmm. So when I joined Ario, I was all about nothing but doing things to stop the war in Vietnam. And if you listen to the early, early Ario, we were very heavy rock and roll, not like the pop band that they are now. Right. It was more it of a jam band. It was more like MC5 than uh, than uh, REO Speedway. Right. <laughs> they were not a pop ballad type band. Well, yeah, you can't call anti-establishment man a uh, pop band, a pop song. No, no. It's uh, so that's kind of like uh, so when I quit the group, another interesting story was about two weeks before I quit the group, I knew I was quitting. And I ran into Gary Richraff at the uh, Red Lion Club. He was playing there. He had a group called Feather Train. Mm-hmm. And they had announced that they're splitting up. So I told Gary, I said, man, listen, I'm, I know you like Ario because you come see me play all the time. I'm leaving the group. So he was like ready and raring to go on the day I left the group. Wow. So... That's uh, and that turned out to be his whole life's work, you know. Yeah, and um, so I thought that was kind of interesting that because things were not working out with me and, and and with the politics of the group and the people I was working with at the time, it turned out to be his good fortune or misfortune, however you want to look at it, right. Well, it, Gary, Gary's signature sound is all over that album. Yeah, uh, and all, and all the rest of their albums and, and, too. and everything else. Until, you, yeah, you, exactly. You, you you can't listen to Sophisticated Lady and not go, oh my, mm-hmm. because that that was that was rock and roll. That's that's what it was. So so you 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 are you are the one who you knew Gary and said, hey, if you want the gig, I'm leaving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and most people, when they find out I was an REO, they go, oh, my God, why did you quit the group? And I always tell them, well, you had to be there at the time yeah. to understand, you know. So REO does their thing. We all know that they became what they became. They're still out there today. Yes. And you... Did you go right to Pablo's dog after that point? No, no. I played in about probably about 10 groups in between uh, REO and Pablo's dog. Uh, I had a group called Ace that played all around the Midwest. That was before Ace, the other group that came okay, out. Okay, that was my next question because I didn't know that. And, um, and I had a group called Rock Salt. It was really cool, but it was more like a Poco style band. I was always jumping one from one genre to another, and I'm still that way. I've been recording a lot of banjo music and 
and uh, mandolin music and ukulele music here lately. I don't know if you've seen my Facebook. There's a song on it. I was recording about a month and a half ago down in Nashville at Michael McDonald's studio. Uh-huh. And and I got I had done a guitar show for and I got done on a Sunday. So I drove up to his sister's house is where the studio is now, Kathy. Okay. And I went through the door and I see Kathy and her face is red and she's crying. I go, Oh my God, Kathy, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she goes, there was a shooting at the school here and Maureen, Mike's other sister was a teacher at that school and we don't know if she's okay or not. So my Kathleen and Kathy went down to the school. I stayed and recorded, but they went down there and found out that she was okay. Okay. And she was like about 30 feet away from the, from the uh, shooter. So anyway, that song that I, I, I wrote a song called Tennessee Tears. It's on my Facebook right now. Yes. And I'm really proud of that one. It's a protest song against gun violence. And um, I'm not against guns and stuff. I actually have maybe five or six guns myself. But I'm against people owning AK-47s and AK-15s. Guns that were just meant to kill a lot of people as fast as they can. Right. And so I'm against the gun violence that's going on in our country right now. Oh, I understand. And uh, so that song, I feel, is a real important song to me. And it reflects back on the times when I protested against the Vietnam War a lot when I was a teenager. I feel like it's a cause worth getting behind and i feel like another cause is global warming if we don't do something about it none of us are going to be alive soon and so those are my causes right now yeah you know and i feel it's important for all of us to take a stand against that aren't right in life and uh that's where i'm at right now that's where we're at now so let, let, yeah. Let, let's go. Let's go back to Pablo's dog. Um, you, you mentioned earlier that that was a a major record deal. How many albums were there, and what happened? Well, we had we had we recorded three albums with CBS. The very first record we were signed to uh, ABC Records, the ABC Dunhill. And the guy that was the president of the company, his name was Jay Lasker. Mm-hmm. And for he was, we were his pet project. And for some reason, he left ABC. And then we were on a label where the main people on the record company were not as strong behind us as they should be. So we were traded to... Um, CBS, uh, and it had something to do with Poco, the band Poco. Okay. They, uh, ABC got them, and and CBS got us or something. I'm not sure. But so we were signed to. Our first record came out on the first on the same day, 
And it came out on two labels, ABC and CBS. Hmm. And um, that was the only time in history when anything like that ever happened. Um, and then, so we had a singer, his name's David Surkamp, and uh, I try not to talk about him too much, but he had a very unusual voice and a very unusual personality. Uh, and when we were recording the third album, the uh, vice president of CBS came to me because at the time, David wouldn't have nothing to do with the band. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to make him a star because he had this unusual voice and he had a good look to him and stuff. Okay. And so the, the uh, vice president of CBS came to me and said, will you do me a favor and learn like eight of David's songs and will you work out today by the Jefferson Airplane because I'd like you to do that song because you guys haven't had a big successful hit record, a 45. Mm -hmm. And if you guys, and he, and he honestly told me, he said, the band's great, but there's not one program director in the country that will play your record because of David's voice. And if you can get David to tone down his voice and record today and learn his stuff and teach him to the band so we can get done with this record. So I did that, but I, I, I said, I want to trade off. And I had one song I recorded called It's All For You. And it's the only song that David Surkamp didn't sing that I, and I sang it with Pavlo's dog. Hmm. And that was my trade off for doing those favors for them. Wow. And uh, so what happened was we were told if you don't have a hit and if you don't get a new manager, because our manager was a big con man crook. And at the time he was actually in prison. And if you don't get a new manager and you don't have a hit song, then the record company is going to drop you. Consequently, we didn't have a hit song and we didn't, and we got dropped from the label. Wow. And that's what actually happened. That is the true story right there. Wow. <laughs> Most people don't know that and they don't hear the story. And, and other people's from the band tell the story differently. But that's what really happened. And, and and for those of you who don't don't know Pavlosov, look them up because if you love prog rock, yeah, it's we were great. It's, it's good stuff. No, we were great. We were when when I joined that band, there was two bands in my career. And the first time I heard Ario and I played with them, I knew right off the bat this group is gonna make it. Yeah. The first time I played with Pavlo's dog, within five minutes, I knew this group had it and they were going to make it. Yeah. You know, uh, it's just something you can feel and you can tell uh, when you're part of it. You can see where it can go and stuff. And like I said, I played in a lot of groups and those two, I definitely right off the get go, I knew what was happening, right. that we could get to the point where we could land a deal and stuff.
And, uh, you know, you got me thinking when you said you did an interview with John Schlitt. Uh-huh. Because when I recorded with Mike Somerville, I talked to him probably 10 times about getting in touch with John Slit to uh, see if he would sing with us. And oh. Mike said, he go, oh, no, he's just into his Christian rock thing. He won't do nothing with rock and roll. But I really pushed that for a bit, but it, it never happened. And honestly, I've never met John or anything, but I admired his vocals a whole lot. Yeah. And what I've heard about him and stuff. John's a great guy. Uh, I, I that's what I've heard, and uh, yeah. uh, you know, just the fact that he's a Christian rocker like he is makes me think that he's a righteous guy too. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's he, he's he, he's he's the real deal. But there's, it, yeah, I'm kind of speechless. It's because John John's a good friend of mine. I consider you a good friend of mine. So. I feel cool. like I've kind of got rock royalty around me. Well, I don't know if it's rock royalty, but you got some friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, so after Pablo's dog, um, more music, or did you drop the music scene? No, actually, I joined a group. Well, no, I was in. Well, the I had a group called Scarface and the Offenders, and Mike Somerville was in that band too. And one of my favorite memories was we played this really tough biker bar out in Winsfield, Missouri, uh, called the Back Door. And okay. me and Mike are pulling up there in my old van with the PA and everything. And there's a handmade poster sign on the front door. It says Scarface and the Offenders here tonight. And then it had a skull and crossbones with blood dripping off <laughs> I just wish I would have taken a picture or saved that poster you know what I mean yeah I never saved anything when I was younger you know just um but that would have been great to have that that would know? be a cool collector's piece yeah so the other group that I was in for oh maybe two years maybe a little longer than that was uh, a group called Gulliver, which was another CBS group. And two of the people I had met in Champaign, Dana and David Buck, they were in a band from Rockford called the Esquires. And they were twin brothers, a bass player and a drummer. And they were great. Uh, and they recorded a uh, record on CBS called Ride in the Wind. And so they asked me to join the group and uh, I went out to California and joined them. Their guitar player was John Weeder from the Animals. Okay. He, he did all this, like the Sky Pilot area er, era of the Animals when, when Eric Burton moved out to Los Angeles or California. Okay. And, um, uh, I guess he had a real bad drug problem at the time, so they called me. Does that make any sense to you? <laughs> <laughs> but I did join him and play with him, and we recorded a fabulous frog rock record. But it was, I believe, the late 80s, maybe the 
early 90s and that punk scene was coming in real heavy yeah. and none of the major corporations uh, wanted to have anything to do with classic rock or prog rock. They right. were all into signing all the big punk bands and stuff. Yeah. So I remember um, we felt really slighted because we had a great record. Actually, Alice Cooper covered one of her songs. It's called We're All Clones. Uh, and then the Smashing that was Pumpkins. Yeah, that was, uh, that was written by the lead singer, David oh Karen. And uh, a funny story was, uh, was uh, I was, years later, I was having a spaghetti dinner. And my friend Tommy Nickerson, who also joined Gulliver with me as a keyboard player, it came over to my house for a spaghetti dinner. Imagine that, an Italian guy liking spaghetti. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we're all sitting there with, with my family, and my son was spending the weekend with me. And the song, Tom had a cassette and was playing the Gulliver stuff. We're eating dinner, and We're All Clones comes on, and my son goes, oh, God, Dad, that's a Smashing Pumpkins song. I go, no, John, that's that's my band Gulliver. He goes, no, Dad, it's my a Smashing Pumpkins song. So he runs back into his bedroom and he gets in his uh, backpack and pulls out a Smashing Pumpkin CDs and shows me that it was actually recorded by the Smashing Pumpkins. I didn't and know I didn't that part know either. I, I, and I didn't know it. Uh, so, and later on, he was a big Smashing Pumpkins fan. He met, what's his name? Billy Corgan, is that yeah, his Billy name? Yeah, Billy Corgan, yep. And uh, and gave him a CD of the original. And Billy Corgan had never heard the original Gulliver track, which I think is better than both the Alice Cooper version. And, uh, and uh, I wrote this guitar line. I didn't get credit for it because it, most songs are underneath the guy that writes the lyrics, you know. Mm -hmm, right. uh, but I wrote this guitar part that goes da 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 da. We're all clones. Yeah, you know it. Yeah. And it keeps going on like a little throbbing thing, right. almost like Nintendo music or something. And but yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know so that was. That was a thing that should have made it, but it didn't make it. And the Somerville Scarfina group was a group that should have made it, right. but it didn't make it because we didn't have any kind of business sense or anything. The uh, guy from Hollywood that wanted us to do a rock line called me and, uh, and, and he's going, well, who's your manager? I want to talk to your manager. I go, we don't have a manager. It's just me and Mike. And honestly, in the business, they don't want to talk to the artists. They want to talk to somebody that's representing the artist. Right. And so we we could have done the rock line concert then. And maybe something really big would have happened. We definitely, I don't know if my songs were good enough, but I guarantee you, Mike Somerville's songs were over the top good. Mike's work with Head East was just second to none. Yeah, no kidding. 
Uh, he wrote this one song called I Got Somebody New to Think About. And the drummer we use, um, hold on for a second, let me get this straight. Well, let me tell you this story because I'm pulling a blank right now. You know, I've had COVID twice and my brain doesn't always work. <laughs> uh, um, uh, but anyway, uh, the, the drummer we used, his last name was Saputo. Uh, and, I, and he was spectacular. And right after he recorded that song with us, somebody to be, uh, I got somebody new to think about. He got a, he joined Reva McIntyre's band. Oh, wow. And then about six months later, he was in that plane crash where her band got killed. Mm -hmm. And so we lost, Tony Saputo was his name. Okay. And he was a great drummer. And that's probably one of the last recordings he ever did, I would assume, oh. you know. When you were playing with Mike originally at the beginning, was he already in Head East? Yeah, he had played with Head East and quit and played with him and quit and played okay. with him about five times. And uh, he was playing with local cover groups around St. Louis at the time. Okay. When I grabbed him. And... Um... Do you do you still have contact with Terry Luttrell and any of the guys from the? I'm playing. Day? I'm playing with Terry uh, on the 28th of July. Okay, okay, here it is. I'm looking at it on my Facebook. We're playing a club called the Diamond Music Hall. It's a fabulous nightclub built by musicians, and he's doing a thing called. REO 2, and they play the first two uh, Pavlov's Dog, I mean, REO Speedwagon records. Okay. And so I'm opening up the show and doing an unplugged acoustic show. I'm going to do like a 45-minute set by myself, and then I'm going to get up, and then another group's playing, uh, and then I and then Terry's band plays, and I'm going to get up and do a couple of songs with him at the end of the night. So that should be really neat. I've played with Terry a number of times over the last couple of years, and I, I when I was down in Nashville, I told you about being in Nashville. Yeah, he came out and we went to dinner together, and he came to the guitar show I was doing and stuff, and you know. Uh, any problems that me and Terry had had back in the early, early days are long forgotten. That's awesome. You know, which is great, you know. Yeah. So that's on July the 28th at the Diamond Music Hall in St. Charles or St. Peter's. And it's a fabulous nightclub. And it should be a real good show. Well, I, I would hope one of the songs you're going to play with on is uh, 157. I think I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do Little Queenie. Oh, sweet. You know, I used to play Little Queenie with him. I was talking to Terry about this. When I seen him, I said, you know, I remember we played four-hour gigs like six days a week, seven days a week for about a year. But I can't remember hardly any of the songs we did. I remember about four of them. Uh, and Little Queenie is one of them. You know, yeah. 
So it's kind of crazy that I know we played all these long nights and I can't remember the songs we played, <laughs> but that was 50 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And, and a couple bouts of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so you're, you're forgiven on that one, Steve. <laughs> I hope so. Anyway. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. I can remember all kinds of useless information. But I can't remember any of the things that really matter. <laughs> like my girlfriend's birthday or anything like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't be forgetting her birthday. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, a bad you would move. think after 33 years, I would know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, are there any uh, recordings coming up that uh, will be released anytime soon? Well, uh, yeah, I've been recording. Uh, a more traditional style uh, music because I've over the last 10 years I've taught myself how to play uh, mandolin, ukulele, four string banjo, and five string banjo. Okay, uh, writing on all those instruments and still writing on guitar and steel guitar, and so. I've been, re I got 10 songs that I'm totally happy with that are very Americana. They're not what you would expect from a guy like me that you would think was be a hard rocker or a blues guy or a metal guy or whatever. Okay. They're all very different. And I've got all the tracks done. I just have to tweak them out a little bit. And, uh, and uh, actually the basic tracks that I recorded down in Nashville are being FedExed to me today. Oh. And I'm going to get them down to David Toretta, who I record with here in St. Louis. And David's famous for, for uh, recording Chuck Berry's last record, the only record that he's done. Um, since my, my dingling. The song My Dingling was the last yeah. time he put out a record. And wow. it was his only number one hit. Is that like an amazing, probably the yeah. worst song he ever wrote was yeah. the only number one song he ever did. Yeah. We have strange tastes out here in Radio Land. What is that? We have strange tastes out here in Radio Listening Land. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, so anyway, I have I have the whole CD together and I'm really excited about it. And I found a guy named Thane Bradford and Thane played with uh, Vince Gill and uh, Sam Bush and a lot of really big time Nashville guys. Okay. Uh, and he, he's wound up moving back here to just South of St. Louis and I recorded with him. If you can check out that song, Tennessee Tears, yeah, he's playing the fiddle on it. Okay. And one of the guys that was really important in my life was the violinist or fiddle player, Siegfried Carver, who played, well, his real name was Richard Nadler, and he played with Pavlo's dog. Well, he was like my mentor. And when I hear, when I hear Thane and me play together, 
it feels the same to me. So it's like a really beautiful thing. Put him on all the tracks that I recorded. And it's a, a kind of a kind of a unique original sound. Uh, so I'm really excited about the new music. It's in a, I've, I've been getting really good response from people. Like I put a song called Small Talk on my Facebook about four nights ago, and I've had 3,000 hits on it and people commenting on it. And not just giving, oh, we love it, Steve, but actually giving really thorough descriptions of what they think about the song and like about it. Okay. And so when somebody takes time to really evaluate what you do, I, I feel like you can know that you're kind of on to something. So, yeah, there will be a, uh, there will, I'm not sure what I'm going to call it yet, um, but in the next, I'm hoping to get it done within the next month or so. And so maybe I can have it for sale at the gig I'm playing with Terry Luttrell. That would be amazing. That would be great. You know, that's kind of a, that might not happen because it takes a long time to get things done. Right. But I am playing a concert on September the 8th at the Kirkwood Performing Arts Center in St. Louis. And it's a father-son concert. My son is going to play with me. Nice. And then uh, David Toretta is going to play bass for me. And his son is going to play drums. So that's a father and son thing. And then I've always been a big supporter of Dylan McDonald, Mike McDonald's son. Right. I helped a bunch of gigs and stuff. I don't know, about 15 years ago. And anyway, uh, so Dylan, Michael McDonald's son, is going to come up and play too with okay. his band, The Avions. And that's on September the 8th at the uh, Kirkwood Performing Arts Center. And, and, and really, those are the two jobs I have. You know, me and Kathleen do a lot of other things. We buy and sell antiques and do antique shows. We buy and sell vintage guitars and do vintage guitar shows. Right. Uh, I record a lot. I've been Rather than concentrating on playing out, I've been concentrating on writing and really getting my chops together. So when I do go out, it'll be special and I'll give the people what they're paying for. Where is the best place people can contact you and listen to uh, some of the things that we've talked about tonight? Well, my Facebook is great and it's public. Uh, you know what? I, I, there's a guy that's going to open up the web page for me We've already paid him, and he started on it. Looks great, but it's not up yet. And right now, you can only have five thousand people on Facebook, and then they don't let you have any more friends. And I've been at five thousand for about two years now. Okay. But you can come to my Facebook, and I always keep some current videos up and posted there. Uh, so that's where most people have ex that are interested enough in right in me to check out stuff that's where they check it out and there is a soundcloud there that has about 
10 songs on it and, and we're changing all the time. Nice. But you can go to my Facebook and even if I can accept you as a friend, because I got too many friends, I like, I really got too many friends. <laughs> uh, you could still get on my page and, and look at it. And stuff. Right. And, and then I, I, you, you posted this a few times. I know if you go to YouTube, you can look up uh, that REO show that you did in Chicago that you mentioned. Oh yeah. That's uh the song's called Sweet Lucille. It's from 1970. Yeah. Um, and that was a major event. What we played in front of 60,000 people and all of the major, you know, corporation news networks were there. NBC, CBS, ABC. And we were like on all the, the six o'clock news things. Uh, the Huntley Brinkley show it came on, it had a picture of us playing, and it said this political rock group, REO Speedwagon, played across from Mayor Daly's office under the Picasso today and gave the mayor a headache. <laughs> and uh, I've been dying to find that video for years. I've been looking for it because it would be just great to see that again yeah. or to be able to show it to people. And that was what brought the attention to REO Speedwagon that got them their record deal. Yeah. That one event in particular, because it got all of a sudden people from all over the country knew about us. Right. Before that, we were just like a local bar band. Yeah. And I, I, so I, I, I got to ask one question do, do you regret leaving REO? You know, I don't, everybody has their own path to take. And at the time, there was some real problems in the group. I won't go into them. Right. With personality problems. And we were doing so much drugs and alcohol. I feel like if I would have stayed in the band, I probably wouldn't have survived because I was subject to addictions like that. Right. And so actually it was a really good decision that I left the band. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, and, uh, but you know, I've had a couple of things like that, that you have to think about. I recorded a record with Elvis's band, uh, right after I left REO, uh, I went out to LA and, I recorded a record by a guy named John Hurley called One More Hallelujah. And John wrote the song Son of a Preacher Man okay. that Dusty Springfield did. Yeah. And so I recorded all the basic tracks with guitar, James Burton on lead guitar, Ronnie Tut and Jerry Sheff, Elvis's rhythm section, uh, and Mike McDonald on keyboards. Uh, and it's a really good record. It was not a success. It was not a big success, but it was a really good record. And uh, I rec so at the time, James Burton, Ronnie Tuck, and Jerry Sheff were playing in Las Vegas with Elvis. They were the guys in the white suits, you know. Yeah. And uh, after I did, I did like four days, and then James Burton had they had to fly back and play with with uh, 
Elvis on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then they came back on Monday back to L.A. And uh, James goes to me, he goes, man, he goes, Elvis has his buddy. He's an old army buddy. And he comes on, he gets on stage every night and and he's drunk and hot. He screws up and I want to fire him. Would you like to play in Elvis's band? Oh, wow. So I was like, just tell me when to show up and I'll be there. But he came back the next week and said, man, I talked to uh, I talked to Elvis about it, and he won't fire his buddy. He was loyal wow. to his buddy. And uh, so I came close to being one of those guys in the white monkey suits. <laughs> you know? So, And I always think, well, what would my life be like if that would have come true? And right. then I think, well, I wouldn't have my kids. And I wouldn't have all the beautiful things I have in my life right now. Yeah. I'd have a whole new different set of problems. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, everybody's got to take their own path. And I've had some great opportunities. A couple of the other ones was when I got signed with Pavlo's dog, I'm getting ready to go on our first tour. And I get a call from John Mellencamp or, Johnny Cougar at the time. Yeah, yeah. He wanted me to play guitar with him. And I said, man, I can't do it. I'm getting ready to go on a 60-day tour, you know, with the Electric Light Orchestra. And another guy that, which is kind of funny because my mom is born and raised in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And I get, I hear my mom on the other side of the house going, Steven, and some doctor from New Orleans wants to talk to you. And it was Dr. John. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and Dr. John wanted me to record with him. And wow. once again, I just got signed to a big deal and couldn't do it. Right. I would think that either one of those deals might have been better than staying in Pavlo's dog. Yeah. But you can't look on back on life and regret things, you know? No. Nope. You know, so... Just and then the other group that there was another group. They I get this phone call and I can't understand the people. And it was the band Focus. Remember there was a oh, song yeah, Focus, yeah. Focus, Focus. Focus by Focus. Yeah, I guess they were like Swedish or Danish. Yeah, and I couldn't understand them, but they wanted me. I guess they thought since I was in a prog rock group that I was a good guitar player or something. <laughs> <laughs> but their guitar player was like John McGoughlin or something. He, he was amazing. I could never have filled his shoes, I don't think. Oh, wow. But I couldn't even give it a chance because I was involved with Pavlo's dog at the time. Uh, Steve, you're a blessed but, man, buddy. Yeah, I am blessed. I say that every day. You know, I, I mean, I got two beautiful kids that are healthy and doing fabulous. I got a beautiful girlfriend or wife or whatever you want to call her that we love doing what we do. Uh, you know, we love collecting certain things and doing antique shows and guitar shows. And every day is, every day is kind of a thrill. Like a, it's kind of like a treasure hunt. Yeah. You know, yeah. we collect Indian artifacts. We go out looking for Indian artifacts in the Midwest here a lot and we find a lot you know so you know i feel like i am totally blessed i'm 73 still healthy 
I've had some health problems in the last couple of years related to having COVID twice, but I'm getting over all that stuff. And yeah. so my life is good. I mean, I don't know how it could be any better. Yeah. I'm surrounded by beautiful vintage guitars and banjos and mandolins and a beautiful woman. And I get to see my, my kids doing great. So yeah, here I am. I could have played an Elvis band, but I think I, it didn't. It wasn't meant to be. You know what well, I mean? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, but, but before we wrap it up, I ask everybody who's on Slaying It one question. Okay. And, and you you've answered a thousand questions already, but you're, you're in the sleigh with Santa. You can have one more wish. Who do you yeah. wish you could play with, alive or dead? That who who would you ask Santa to play with? Uh Rihanna Guyton. Okay. She was in. She's in. A, she was in a group called the Carolina Chocolate Drops. <clears throat> she, to me, is the most important artist alive today. She plays banjo. She plays frailing banjo, the kind that they played in minstrel shows yeah. back in the eighteen forties and eighteen thirties and stuff. Sure. She also it was an opera singer. She plays violin. She plays all kinds of instruments. She sings, has so much soul. I just can't, and the things she writes totally blow me away. I'm totally in to her. And I would love to play with her. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but, um, you know, things do happen, though. Things do happen. <clears throat> there was a guy that, that um that uh wrote wrote a song called Waterbound and uh what's his name? Uh God, I'm 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 pulling a blank once again. I hate this uh this uh, uh um oh man, why can't I think of his name? Oh well, it don't matter, but he like is an amazing songwriter. Uh God, I can't believe I can't think of his name. He played guitar for Loretta Lynn and uh, he wrote this song called Waterbound and it really knocked my socks off for about the last eight months every morning I get up and I put it on and listen to it to get in the right frame of mind Okay. so you know and anyway I told you about Thane Bradford who's recording with me mm -hmm. uh, he became a friend of mine on Facebook and, and lo and behold, the guy that wrote Waterbound, God, I can't believe I, hold on for a second. I'm going to look it up. It's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> uh, if I can't find it. Uh, he's got a kind of odd name. It, I, and I shouldn't say that. Um, but so, I sent him a friend's request yeah. and he accepted it immediately. That's and I, so I'm totally excited about that. But okay, hold on. Let me. Okay, wait a second. Give me one second here. We'll get and the I'm, Jeopardy music playing in the background. Oh really? <laughs> okay, it's just a second. Just one second. It's it's worth 
me giving you his name. Sure. Because he is, but he's very traditional. Dirk Powell is his name. I don't know why that couldn't come to me. It's so, like I said, I'm, I've had COVID twice, and sometimes it's hard for me to remember names. It's like, uh, you know, because I meet a lot of people, and, you know, people at different times in your life, they play a bigger part in your life that right. you don't see them for a few years. Right. And I can't remember their name. I'm going, oh, my God. Uh, is this like the first stages of dementia or something? <laughs> you know? Well, it's not but like you've had a boring play, life, so. If I was going to, uh, play, if I was going to have my choice of anybody in the world I could play with, it would be Rihanna Giddon. And uh, she is just so soulful that it's just amazing. And uh, if if you get a chance to check her out, Okay. Put her name in, put in the the Carolina chocolate drops and check out some of their live performances okay. and check her out and you won't be disappointed. There we go, folks. Now we have homework to do. Yep, you have homework to do. <laughs> It'll be worth your time, though. Steve, I really, I don't want to keep you a whole lot longer. We kept you on here an hour, but man, I appreciate you being here. This has been a blast talking to you. You're, you're so informative and you've got, you've played with everybody, you know, every connection. I feel we could probably talk for another hour. Oh, we could, you know, and you know what? I love talking rock and roll and, I, but I love talking music. I don't like to be pigeonholed into a genre or something, you know, even though I'm known as being a, a rock and roll guitar player. Right. I, I I think that part of the reason I've never really made it is because the record companies couldn't put me in a category. Right. They can't say, well, this guy is a country artist. This guy is a blues artist. This guy is a rock and roll artist. Yeah, because I have all these influences. And, 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 you know, I don't put one above the other. I did play gigs with Money Waters when I was a teenager. And a bunch of blues artists, because all the blues artists came to St. Louis. And I was good friends with a guy named Gabriel, who was the big disc jockey. And he introduced me to all the major Chicago blues artists. So right. I've had so many different influences in my life. And uh, I just I don't understand why people just get stuck in one single genre. It, it doesn't make sense to me. No, no, it doesn't need, it, it doesn't need to be in just one category there. There's so much when it comes to music and, yeah. and, and, and we're, we're thankful that, that you've had the experiences that you've had because I, I have the feeling that we're not done listening to uh, music by you. Well, I, I, I don't think I'm done. You know, I think, honestly, I think the stuff that's been coming out lately I can't even, I'm so excited about it. I'm thinking, well, why didn't I have these songs 50 years ago? Right. You know, but you, you, they come when they come, you know? Oh. And, uh, well, it's been one hour, one minute, and 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, it's been a blast talking to you. 
And I, I have the feeling that, that there'll probably be a part two here after your uh, gig with Terry. Oh, that'd be great. And, and maybe maybe you might like to have one when Terry's in town. That would be that would be very special. When, I, when before Terry moved down south, when he was still in Champaign, uh-huh. I, I sent him when he was still selling cars. Yeah, I, I sent him a message. Uh, I had I had gone to a Indianapolis car show. And I came back home drooling over a BMW. Okay. And, and, and I sent him a message because that's what he was selling at the time. Okay. And I said, Terry, hey, can you, can you hook up a bro? You know, but <laughs> that, that's about the only time I've, I've uh, chatted with Terry. So, yeah, that I think that would be a fun conversation to have with him. Yeah, but, well, I'm sure it would be. You know, he's got a lot more stories about REO than me, too. Oh, yeah. But I was in it before their first record even came out you know and that's and, and that blows my mind because people know ario as gary richrath there were other guitar players even before you yeah there was bill fiorio was one of them yeah du- and, and, and uh, everybody out there knows him as duke tomato yeah duke tomato and uh you know everything's got a time and place and I just don't think my time is over yet because for some reason God's keeping me around so I think there's some more stuff I need to do like this song I wrote Tennessee Tears I think it's meant to reach people to try to get through to them that we have to do something about the problems we have in our country right now and and, and And so I'm all about I post that every time there's a mass shooting, and I quickly realized that I can't keep doing that because there's like a mass shooting almost every day now. Right. And so, you know, and I know you got a beautiful daughter that's getting ready to go to school, and that's got to be on your mind some. It's all the time. You know, so, but uh, anyway, that's it, I guess, and uh, I hope you got what you needed to get out of me. Steve, you're, uh, you're the best. And one last question: Are you going to be back in Danville for the next guitar show? I am definitely. And uh, wow, um, the promoter there—I talked to him last week. He—he—he mm-hmm. he, uh, he had like a heart thing where yep. they had to reset his heart because he had AFib or something. Yeah, yeah. Last I mean, week he went into—he was went to the gym and he went into a sauna. And he fell on his face. Yeah. And, and nearly killed him, but he's okay. Yeah, and he's so, doing good. And I really like Eddie. You know, he's a great guy. And he got me and Kathleen back into doing guitar shows. And now we've been doing them all over the country and stuff. And that's that's awesome. And yeah. But, but you know, I, we gotta say goodbye. So all I right. know that I'll see you again at the show and I'm we'll probably talk before that even. But thanks for getting in the sleigh with Santa Rob, and uh, and, and bless you, and let and let, the, let Kathleen know that I am proudly wearing the ring that she sold me. I love my American oh. biker ring. <laughs> well, I can tell you what, man, we got some killer Indian jewelry, signed Navajo pieces. We have a, we have unbelievably beautiful stuff that we carry and sell. You know, and we're thrilled about it. That's what I mean. Our life is really exciting. You know, Uh, so I better let you go. There's a long interview you got going on here, buddy.
Steve, I appreciate it a thousand times over. We'll talk again soon, and thanks for being here. All right. We'll see you soon. God bless you, buddy. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for getting in the sleigh with Santa Rob tonight. And a very special thank you to Steve Scorfina. What a talented individual. A guy who's played with everybody and has more musical influence than anybody that I know. Thank you, Steve, for being here. If you'd like to hear a part two of Steve, uh, let me know. Send me an email at uh, santarobpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, thank you to my awesome sponsors, Brett Christmer's Mustache Wax, bscenterprises.com, and uh, Hotspot Collectibles and Toys. Check out their websites. Both of them have the same discount at 15%. Go to their sites and uh, use discount code SANTAROB. And uh, please support, uh, support them and their awesome local businesses. And thank you for getting in the sleigh one more time with Santa Rob.